you have the right to the action, but you do not have the right to the fruits of that action. So you take the action for the sake of the action and that's it. It really is about the journey. There is no destination. Don't put time limits on your goals. Feel into your heart. Make sure that they are still aligned with the person you are in this ever-changing world because your goals can change. And, and, and by hanging on too tightly to one may make you shift away from one that's even bigger and greater and something that you could miss in this life. Hey everyone, welcome back. Episode 68 of the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. We've got our August installment of Ask the YTs and I'm here with the Beach and Clark. And we've got a few questions and we've got some things to catch up on because it's been a while since we've done, I think it's been since June since we've done an Ask the YTs because July was our Ironman Santa Rosa Square Table Smackdown, which if you didn't listen to it, we're getting really great feedback on that one. Uh, lots of laughs, and we're happy to hear that people are sharing in those laughs with us. Uh, it was such a great group. We had six people on two mics in a seedy hotel room in Santa Rosa, California, <laughs> and it was so much fun. And not only did we have six people on two mics, but we had six athletes, all of like such different levels and experience from you know elite level with Troy um, to Susanna, who kicked butt in her first Ironman, to Coach Beej, who's one of the best in his age group in the world, and um, to me, who's, well, we'll get into what's going on with me, Billy, Kona Qualifier, and Elizabeth, who's representing triathlon in, um, in her and Troy's hometown in Mexico. So it was a really awesome episode. That was a, I guess that was about three episodes I'll go now, but uh, thanks so much, you guys, for the support, checking in each week, tuning in to the show to support what we're trying to do here, which is, yeah, it's sharing stories, but the Yogi Triathlete mission is to create a better world. Like, this is what we want to do. We want to help create a better world, and how do we do that? We do that. How do we do that, BJ? Through yoga. Through yoga. Through plant-based nutrition. But how through yoga? Through the, the practice of yoga, through our breathing, through calming down, through uh, putting yourself in positions that, in a position where you're forced to focus on your breath and not on the pose. And we do that through what? Through present moment awareness and yeah. breath. Nice. And how else do we create a better world? <laughs> <laughs> what? We're a couple minutes in. Right. I'm putting you on the spot. Yeah. So we also do <laughs> plant-based nutrition. And how does that help create a better world? Mm, that's <laughs> it, such an it easy one. A better world for for the planet, um, for ourselves, our bodies, and for the animals. Mm-hmm. All three. It's a win-win-win. And just today on my bike ride, talking with people about one person was plant-based and one person had tried it, and it's it's just gaining momentum. Like it's not something that isn't unheard of anymore, and people are exploring possibilities of how it will affect them it's it's so huge yeah okay so we got yoga and mindfulness we've got plant-based nutrition nutrition. and we've got the podcast sharing stories to help people understand that you never have to be stuck that those deep amazing 
burning desires in your heart are there for a reason, that you're here to share those gifts. And so that's why we want to share the stories of people who have gotten on the other side of fear and doubt and they're living their purpose. And then how else do we do it through our athletes? Yeah, through triathlon and running. Yeah. Um, getting out there and making that body move, mm-hmm. challenging and, yourself yeah, and physically and mentally. Yeah, and realizing things in your life that maybe you never dreamed of possible for you. So all of those things together. I mean, what it really boils down to is Yogi Triathlete's about uh, bringing more consciousness in the world. And if we have more conscious people in the world, we're going to have a better world because what's happening is that the unconsciousness in our world, the deep unconsciousness and the ordinary unconsciousness, which is what Eckhart Tolle uh, refers to two types of unconsciousness. The ordinary unconsciousness is just our, our addiction to our belief systems and our roles and who we are and who we think we are and the job that we have, all of that like is our, yeah, it's our role that we play in this world, but it's also a big limiter. And if we're too hard lined, we're going to continue to live in unconsciousness. So it's getting out of these belief systems and into the experience of now. And that's where mindfulness, no matter if you're training for an Ironman or you're having your first kale salad or you're taking your first warrior one, it's about aligning your awareness with the activity at hand. And that is consciousness. And then of course, there's the deep unconsciousness, which we're seeing all the time, the horrible things that just happened on the East coast. Oh, forgive me. I don't watch the news, but I think it was Charlotte, North Carolina or Virginia. Um, People are going to know what I'm talking about, but that's deep unconsciousness, the violence that we see, the war that we're in, a lot of deep unconsciousness. And so we want to bring more consciousness in the world because when we're conscious, we are able to see if we are moving and acting and navigating our lives in a way that's in alignment with who we truly are, right? And so I think that's actually a really good segue into what we're going to be talking about today. So that's us, Yogi Triathlete. Um, We are here to create a better world, and you guys are a part of it. We couldn't do it without you. Mm -hmm. So this is a super powerful tribe. This is not a tribe to mess with. No, we're we're seeing it daily with our athletes. I wouldn't want to mess with our athletes. or Or the people that we come in contact with. Uh, yeah. with the, what happened Friday night when we walked down? Oh my God, Friday night was green. so cool. So one of the things that we do, Clark is the big connector. And so one of the things we do is we walk down to the end of our street. We say, oh, let's just go down with Clark and we'll take a walk. And we never have an agenda. And then Friday night, like in the dark, Clark was being super silly. And this guy was like, can I just pet your dog? He's so awesome. So we ended up talking to these people. And who did like they end up being? He was a performance... He's in Recreation. school recreational Re- therapy. Recreational therapy. Mm-hmm. And he said, this girl over here who I think he was helping to train or they were training together is a champion jiu-jitsu fighter. Yeah. Like world champion. Talk and, about nobody to mess with. This girl right. is 150% muscle. From Brazil. Yeah. So I think we're going to have to have her on the podcast. Yeah. So just like that, we, met, we met these people and yeah. they, we connected on social media and we'll see where it takes us. But those are the moments that we have no expectations for. We just take a walk. And the connections just automatically happen. So if you're giving off that energy, if you're giving off the vibe that you want to, that you're open and the universe is there to provide for you, then things start to conspire 
to make that happen. Yeah, the trickle effect. And right. so we're seeing it with our athletes and um, we're seeing it with our families too, like the extension of the work that we're doing within ourselves allows us to do the work that we're doing in the world with our athletes and the mindfulness clients that I work with and the students in my yoga class. We're seeing through them that they're now living the example and through them living the example, their community is starting to change and their families are starting to change. And it's it's really awesome, you guys. So never underestimate the impact that you're having in the world. Okay, so let's jump in. I don't know what we're going to get to, but let's just see. So let's start with uh, Santa Rosa, BJ. How is your recovery? Like you're doing three Ironmans in 16 weeks, and we've been getting a lot of questions about how you're doing this, how your recovery was, and we've been super busy. So we haven't. You've been doing a lot of live videos, which is awesome. But how was your recovery coming off of Santa Rosa? Coming coming off, I you know I had the idea, and this is just an idea or plan, was to take two weeks and really just let the body heal and get into some swimming, continue swimming, just nice and easy, and then slowly work in the bike and the run. And then I had this foot sensation, so that's kept the run at bay, which is probably a good thing, you know, to just kind of sit back and focus on race pace specific stuff and let the fitness from that first Ironman carry over. A lot of food recovery, like I've been really focused on getting in what I need in the morning before workouts and then immediately after workouts being really diligent about refueling my body with smoothies. If you've been seeing my posts lately, I think I've been knocking back a smoothie after every workout and and the recipe I think we posted on Instagram it's my it's been my go-to the past few weeks so between nutrition and uh, taking the body down a little bit and workouts down one of the bigger biggest things was been yoga I've, I've re-up my yoga practice and it's the heated yoga practice just getting into that hot studio and not having any like strong, expectations of I need to kill this practice I need to get in there it's just letting the heat and letting that humidity just work its way through my body just sweat it out and yesterday was the first day I've done two yoga sessions and they were pretty close together they're like, pretty close separated by a run yeah so it's, yeah so it was yoga that morning yo woke up for yoga took Jess's 6 a.m class six to seven then we headed home and I uh, got into a 30, 40 minute run down to the next yoga studio and just mm -hmm. met me there. And I practiced there for an hour. So I had two hours of hot steamy yoga bookending uh, a little bit of a run just to, and it was sort of a light day, but this week, this is the fourth week out from Santa Rosa. And this is the first week I feel like things are back in flow. So did you feel at all like with, so you had, you were to put like a worldly label on it because um so people can understand you had some tendonitis on like the lateral side of your underfoot which was like your peroneus brevis, brevis. attachment yes. point yes. and a little bit of your digity mini me muscle uh which is a muscle that controls that little pinky toe but there's an attachment point in there and i've had the same exact thing it's so funny i've had the same thing at, at and i actually had it for a couple of years but it's gone now so in that like when that cropped up because that was well, you were feeling it a little bit before Santa Rosa yes. and I worked on your foot yes. and then that was fine. And you know, you ran hard that race. You just went hard, hard, hard the whole day. 
And then coming off it, that like having this physical thing that was slowing you down, but also like the weight of Ironman Wisconsin being closer than you thought. This is so typical of us. Like all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute. It's not 10 weeks. It's not 10 weeks. It's It's like six weeks, five weeks or something. (laughs) Did you have moments where you like wanted your circumstances to be different or you wanted to be, did you feel pressure of like, I should be doing more right now? I had one brief moment of that. What was it? One Describe brief it. moment. It was coming back from a run, I think. I attempted run, and I went off the bike, and I, I went out to the back trails, and I had to come back after a minute because it just was not happening. And it, it was so brief, and I want to stress it. It was one moment. It was brief. And I can recount in the past where I've had multiple moments that have extended days worrying about whether it's going to heal in time. But I know, I know much, I know now, I know too much now to go back to those thoughts. I know that based on my fitness, based on how things have progressed, I just know everything. Like I'm going to be fine come race day. And I just continue to move forward. And what I've done is, you know, do the things you can control. So drink uh, turmeric tea, cut down the anti, the, uh, the inflammation in the foot. Get on the nano foot roller, which uh, from Trigger Point, which has been a savior for me these past few days or past few weeks. Icing and heating and and heating it up, getting in the pool and swimming more. Maybe not so much running. My run volume has been super low leading into an Ironman. That's okay. I've done this before. I I understand that it not one workout, not one week's workout, not six weeks workout is going to affect what happens on race day. If you're not mentally focused and positive, that you're going to be there showing up and be fine. Like going down that rabbit hole of what if and this is pain, this sucks. Going down that hole is not doing anything, doing anyone good, and it's just wasting energy. I need all the energy I can moving me forward to get to Wisconsin on a race day. Yeah, and. So yeah, it's a big waste of time big waste and it's of time. super low vibe to, to get stuck in that. But and it's easy. It's easy. It's so available. It's easy. It was there many chances. So when you asked me, it, it was there, but I've only given it attention for a brief moment yeah. once. And then the thing that I always used to say to my clients and I, and I say to my athletes now that I work with, with meditation and stuff like that, when something is preventing them from, you know, training the, the the physiological thing that's happening is that when you go down that rabbit's hole and like, oh my God, what if, and you start getting stressed, you have, you have a physiological reaction. You know, your sympathetic nervous system is heightened, which is your, your survival mechanism, which is your fight or flight or freeze. And it creates a stress response in your body. And when you have a stress response in your body, your immune system is suppressed and your body starts to prioritize. And the last thing that your body is going to prioritize in that is a little spot on your foot. So the stress in your body and the reaction that you're having in your nervous system is going to slow your healing. It's going to slow your healing. So any negative thought that you have, any stress that you're going to indulge, it doesn't mean that that stress isn't going to come in, but you've got a choice. You've got a choice in that moment to feed it or not feed it. And when you feed it, it's like self-sabotage at its best. Absolutely. When you feed it, you slow everything down. And you also compromise your your success on race day. So physiologically, it's just silly 
to go down that road. And believe me, I understand that sometimes it's just too much and it pins you down. And so for you, it pins you down for a moment. Right, a moment, a brief but moment. But in the past, it may it would have, have consumed me. Yeah, and and that's not to say that it it, it won't again. Yeah, it won't again. You but know. I have the tools. I feel like I have the tools yeah. now to to work through it. And today's workout was perfect example of that. Like yeah. today. So before I want to talk about yeah. today's workout before you go, but before you go into it, one thing I want to say to people is, you know, we talk about the warrior path and all of this. And I was actually talking to um, a meditation client or student yesterday and we were talking about how you know you go on this path and the challenges don't get smaller they get bigger like it's in direct relationship to the consciousness that you're now living in and like you're choosing more consciousness and you're choosing more presence. And so you have to have the balance so that the universe says, oh, look at all this light and consciousness and strength. Okay, well, how we have to match that and balance that out is these challenges have to be, they're going to be bigger and they're going to come in hard. And, um, and so it's not like things get easier. They don't, but you're more equipped. Everything is relative to where you are. Um, and so, yeah, I guess I just wanted to say that, but no, it's, a good it's point. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's no, it's certainly no reason to avoid the path because either you do it in this lifetime or you do it in another lifetime. You know, <laughs> I might as well get started. That's, I want to do as much work as I possibly can in this lifetime because I don't, I'm, I don't want to come back. Like my goal in this life is to get to a point where I can say, all right, like intuitively know, like my work here is done and I can pull myself out of the body. That's, that's how I'm going to go. That's my plan. I like that plan. Yeah. And, and I don't feel like I have the solution now. It's not like I have the magic gold key and, okay, great, I got through that moment. You know? No. It's like a continually growing process. It's like, almost like you want to say like, oh, thank you. That was kind of like an easy one. It was just a moment. Right. Thank you so much. <laughs> Knowing that there's something bigger coming. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about today's workout. You did a live video, which um, I couldn't even wait to to watch on the way home from the pool. So I was watching it in the parking lot of the pool, even though we already got the data warning on our, on our phone. Did you see that? <laughs> no, I did. Yeah, but we're yeah. only at 50%, so yeah. we're good. We got a few more, two yeah. weeks. 11 days. Yeah. We're fine. We'll make it. So talk about your workout today, because I have a question about it. Yeah, today's, today's workout, the plan was to go out and ride for three to four hours at a steady pace, nothing, nothing crazy. Math pace is what I like to call it. Um, and if you listen to Lucha's podcast, you can get a... Oh my God, the podcast is so good. Dive into math. That's yeah. another really good one. A really good one. It was two podcasts ago. And it was just, you know, Z2, just a chatting pace for three or four hours and then come home and run off the bike at uh, race pace. And, you know, I took yesterday, like I said, sort of light. and But this week has been the week where things have clicked. So Tuesday and Thursday I had really, really solid swims and really solid bikes. And actually Tuesday night, I did the run group back here and pushed myself beyond what I wanted to That's do. That's the speed workout. The speed workout. And you always seem to show up when they're doing the mile repeats. Always. Because it's always different every week. Every week. But it's, it's made up of three miles. Um, so today's workout, I got out and, and joined the, the Endurance House crew. They leave their, their place in Oceanside. It's a shop that um, I actually teach yoga at Monday and Thursday nights at 6 p.m. So and there's going to be area, more of that in the future. Please join us. If you are an athlete and you're not practicing yoga, you are you are missing a serious chunk of your potential. 
There were two things I was thinking about on the bike ride today that I, w- that I could, if I had, if someone said, if you had two things to tell a triathlete, like Ooh, years like ago, this. like years when you're coming up. What about right now? One, swim, <laughs> get in the pool, <laughs> swim and do more yoga. I wish I had done yoga sooner and I wish I had done swimming mm. more consistently. Um, and those two things you can do for the rest of your life. They super, they transcend the sport of triathlon. So I ended up, yeah, so I rode with the group and we went out east and I wanted to do this ride. I wanted to get, uh, check out this road and it seemed like they were doing that today. So we went out to West Lilac um, and the Circle K Loop, I think they called it. And it was about 50 something miles it ended up being, but there was, you know, you're, when you're, when you bike with a group, there's the fast group, there's the, there's the medium group and then there's the beginner group and there's always that that opportunity to jet and go with the leaders even though your ride or your workout or your coach says to stick here there's something about being in a group that you just got to go but i've learned over the years that i like to stick to the plan and it it benefits me in the end but there, but if there is an opportunity in the grand scheme of things to go for it you know you, you give it a go and so we, we turned on to West Lilac and Matt, the owner of Endurance House, was like, oh, this is, this is a Strava route, <laughs> like this five mile stretch up to the stop sign. And I was like, yeah, yeah. Um, but it was a really good gradual climb. And I know Wisconsin has climbed. So I just got into my TT position and I just pedaled through. I didn't go out of my, out of my uh, I didn't go into the hard zone. But I, I was pushing it, you know, I was an arrow, I'm giving it a good, good go. And there was uh, Matt and this other guy, Chris, I think his name was ahead of me. And it was just, it was in that moment, that five mile stretch was what I needed to do. And I did it. And I got to the top and then we all regrouped and then we rode the rest, you know, pretty chill all the way back into the town. What was the grade of it? It sounds yummy. It's rolling. It's a little bit rolling, but it's got some steady, steady climbing i don't mm. know what the grade is maybe three four percent and then maybe up to like seven percent at, at oh, one that's point nice. yeah yeah i was thinking about just being an arrow because that's built some specific strength yeah on the on the tt bike but it was just great to be out there and cycling with them so i got got done with the ride and got home and i'm like i don't know like how i feel about this run and i and i I just talked to one of my athletes too, and she was feeling the same thing when she got off the bike. And I, I hear this a lot. And I hear it a lot from you when you come home from your run and you're like, you've got this From my like, ride. Yeah, from your ride. Yeah. You, you've got this little like, well, I don't know. You know, I mean, it's, I'm exa- <laughs> I might be, you know, it might be an exaggeration of actual events. But like, I'm always like, get your, get your ass in your shoes, put your shoes on your ass and get out. Yeah. <laughs> so I did. I got out and I just kind of my goal was to hit 7.30, to 7.30 pace, which is what my goal is for race day. And I started out and it just sort of like came to me. And then after a mile, it started to get a little bit better. And then gradually it was just kicking in to, I'm a runner, like I'm a runner. This is what I do off the bike. And these are the paces I hit. And so I went out and did my three mile lap, came home. And then I remembered I wanted to do some mile repeats. So I wanted to try this workout where I would did like six 1K repeats. So I went back out to the trail with a water bottle, but I stuck with the same pace. So 7.30 out to the start of the trail. And this is the rail trail behind our place. It runs alongside the, tra- the train tracks. And I hit the six 1Ks with a minute rest in between at my 7.15, 7.20 pace. 
just banging it out. And it got easier and easier as I was doing these repeats. And it just, it just reinforces the point that you may not feel good coming off the bike, but just start making those first steps. Just start running. Just start working into it. Things will change. The way that I coach, at least, and the way that the coaches I've worked with, things change pretty quickly. Like you just get over that little hump and then that's the point where everything starts to start to kick in. And we were talking about this with the, um, the alchemist, which we both are listening to. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's where most people give up is that point, that, that point where like today I wouldn't have left the house or today I was, I was running the first half mile and I wasn't feeling good and I headed home. Like those. That would have been such a waste. That's where most people quit. Well, the, but that is where the biggest reward or the biggest discovery and experience can happen. Just getting past that. So if you think of life as a yoga class, which really you should, because this, this is a school that we live on. This earth is a school. And so there's this thing that's commonly said in yoga, and you may have heard it if you've been to class, like the moment you want to get out of the pose is where it begins. Like, like the moment you want it, it's, it's almost like what's coming into my mind now is like women who give birth, like that, like that moment where they're just like, I can't, I can't, I can't. And it's like a couple more pushes and then it happens, you know, like the moment you want to say like, okay, that's good enough or I've done enough or this is uncomfortable. The moment that you start to feel those things is the moment where you have to stand up and fight. Stand up and fight. Mm -hmm. Show up. Because it's the battle. It's the battle against against the mind, you know. And and you know, make your life make your life a meditation. That doesn't mean you wear robes and you sit in a cave and you have you know uh, candles burning all around you all the time. That doesn't mean that at all. It's make your life a meditation. Like be conscious of what's coming at you and how you're rising up to those occasions. How are you? Are you? Are you being? Frankly, are you being a coward? Are you? Are you being like? a coward in those moments and saying like, Oh, it's too much. I can't do it. When really, if you just take a breath and you realize like, it's not that big of a deal. Like I think I was saying that in yoga yesterday. Um, like, you know, it, it's a hot ass room and I don't tend to teach a easy class and it was really challenging, but I don't think that those people show up to have an easy class. And you know, it's like, just watch the mind. Like it's, it's, we're breathing and we're moving the body. Like you were breathing and moving the body. It's not that big of a deal. And they, so that's, I love that. Like <laughs> that's where they want to show up and have the challenging class. But when they're in there, yeah. it's like, they don't want the challenging class. Yeah. Like do you really want this? Like, yeah. and what were you talking about with the Bhagavad Gita? Like, he's like, you got to stand up and oh, fight. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, you, yeah. you want to, is this what you want? This is what you want. Yeah, this is kind of how the Bhagavad Gita starts. Um, and, and I see this with people who say like, yeah, I want to be more mindful. I want, I want to meditate. I want to meditate. And this is how the Bhagavad Gita starts. Arjuna says like, yeah, 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 I'm going to do this. I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight. And Krishna, who's like the divine consciousness says, all right, you want to fight? I'm going to show you what you're going to be fighting. And he sees what he's going to be fighting, which is his, his uncle and his cousins and, and all of this, which, which represents like 
um, our minds essentially and all these thoughts that we're attached to about who we think we are and all of that. And that's what you have to battle. You have to battle who you think you are in this world. Yeah, they're not you. They're your cousins. It's like it's so close. They're not <laughs> right. you. They're just like right, right. one step. one. And so I hear that with people. They say, oh, I'm going to start. I want to do meditation with you and I want to do mindfulness. I'm like, okay, great. This is what it takes, okay? And then some people are like, they rise up and they're in it and they're just like more, 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 more. Keep giving it to me. And that's that's how I am as a meditation student. More, more, more. Keep laying it on. I am ready for it. I am here to stand up and fight. And then some people just fall away. And it's the same thing with like Iron Man and even half Iron Man. Like you can watch those inspirational videos on YouTube and be like, I'm going to sign up. I'm going to sign up. But the fact is, is like signing up is, that's nothing. Like you had to stand up and fight and you have to do those workouts. And when you're feeling sorry for yourself, that's your battle of the mind. That's you. That's Krishna showing you, this is what you're fighting. You're fighting your own self-doubt. You're fighting your belief systems of what you think you can or cannot do. And, and this is what, in, in, so then it goes on, right? The story gets such a good story. The story goes on. But then there's this one point where Arjun is just like, I can't do it. Like, I can't do it. And he's like laying on the, like on the ground of the chariot. And he's yeah, like, I'm he not be, doing yes. it. Not doing it. Not going to do it. I'm not going to fight. And Krishna gets really stern with him. And he says, you know, this cowardness does not, um, oh, what does he say? He says, it does not, um, basically it, it's, it's not, um, it does not make you look good. You know, like it, it does not, it's getting the best of you. It's, it's not who you are, right? It's not, you're being a coward. And if that's what you want to be, then stay where you are and don't even go on this journey. But if, but I know that that's not who you are. So you must stand, stand up. up and fight. And this is the warrior, right? This is the warrior. You always are ready for battle, but you're never a threat to your community. That's what it is. This book is so good. So if you haven't read the Bhagavad Gita, you need to. I, I put it off for so long, for so long, <laughs> so long. So good. It's so good. So I highly recommend this book. Check it out. And don't worry about like understanding the whole thing. It, none of that matters. It's a, it's a very divine tale that um, you'll pull away exactly what you're supposed to pull away. And that could be one phrase. That could be one phrase that you pull away from reading this entire book, but then you go back, you know, then you, then you keep doing your work and you go back and you read it again and then you're going to pull something else away. And it's like, every time I read it, it's like, it's been completely rewritten because yeah. it's always has a totally different meaning. It also, this all speaks to, how did we get here? I don't know, but let me finish this. Okay. <laughs> Uh, this gets to our uh, being awake and ready and always in like be ready. So be ready for battle, like always be ready. <laughs> yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and one more experience today where I swam after my bike and run and I'm in the pool. So this is after the big workout, like I'm in the pool and I had to do these sets, seven, one hundreds and 50 fast, 50, uh, 50 takeout pace, 50, you cruise into 80% effort. So you're not like coming down. You're like, it's pretty challenging. And you're doing these strong. And I'm in the pool that I've had challenges with lately. You know, this pool that's seemingly not fast, according to me. I right? love how you say, like, <laughs> you go to the other pool and you're like, I'm such a great I'm workout. I'm such a better swimmer in the other pool. And it's pool. like, why? Why are you yeah, such a better swimmer? It's a story that I have. Because your times are faster. Right. 
And it's a yard right. pool as opposed to a meter yeah, pool. Yeah. And it There's is. It is a slow pool. I don't know why. It's like it's like the fat mirrors. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like there's like the skinny mirrors yeah. and then there's the fat mirrors. Like this is the slow no, no, pool. Where, where and then were we? At we were Airbnb somewhere. Or somewhere. We're like recently. That, oh, I know where we were. And I was like, look at my yeah. legs in this we mirror. We were in St. George, Utah. Oh, yeah. These You're like, don't go in the bathroom mirror. The mirror out <laughs> yeah, here, like, this is the good one. This is the mirror that like <laughs> I am seeing the legs that I always wanted to have in this mirror. Right. And it was, what was it? It was a total illusion. Yeah. So, so the swim, I had seven of these and I ended up doing three of them and my mind is like, I've already done all, this is the, this is the stuff that I'm working on. So these are the moments, this is what I talk about being awake and ready. So these are the moments that you need to do the work. I already done three of them and my mind is, is calculating like, okay, you've already done all this work today. You have an Ironman in two weeks, like three is good. Three is good enough. And I kept looking at my watch after each set and I was getting slowly faster by one or two seconds. And I'm like, the data, so this is great. The data is not telling me I'm getting slower. So why do I need to stop? So here's where I broke it down. I just started to do one more. So I did four and time came in the same. Then I did one more and I got a little bit faster. And I did the sixth one and I went one second slower. And then I came back and I did the last one the fastest. And it's in those moments between number three and four, as an example, like right there is where I feel being awake and ready. I can now see like my thought process of what I've done in the past to what is truly happening in the moment. In that moment, I had plenty of energy, plenty of gusto to finish these sets. But in my mind and in the story, it wanted to really like rehash it and be like, oh no, you don't have to do it. Like you don't have to do these, the rest of them. Like you've already done enough today. Like give yourself a break. Like like back off. And those are the moments where I feel... That's where the yoga begins. Like that's where your training today began. Yes. In that moment <laughs> is where it happened. You're and I know so I'm relating this all to, to training, but I would, I would, in the past, I would go through these workouts and I would log the miles and log my book and that's great. But I have taken so much from today as a journey of self-discovery. And that's what matters. That is what is going to carry me through Iron Man number two and Iron Man number three, and then the Iron Man beyond that. Mm -hmm. And this is how, this is how my our athletes are starting to tap into their their mental power, their ability to their inner badass. Yeah, their inner badass to transcend any condition that happens, whether it's rain, wind, a mechanical issue, uh, some guy cut them off. Um, an accident or a lack of nutrition, like whatever it is, the pool closed. It doesn't matter what it is. They have the power and the tools. They have the tools. That's the most important thing. To move beyond it. And that's, that's what we do with our athletes. Piece. That's the missing piece that I see in so many training, so many training regimens is like this mental toughness and everything comes from just going out and, you know, experiencing the hard workouts. And yeah, there's some mental toughness that's just going to, gonna come but like is it, are, are people really getting the mindfulness tools like what do you do in that moment how do you direct your awareness and in my experience with working with different coaches and in different training plans and I've done a lot of I've run the gamut with that and um, I've just never had anyone tell me the how and that's I think my my life's journey is teaching the how Teaching the how is so big uh, for me. The how and and the why. Why should I even be doing it? 
So I know where we started with this, and I want to go back to it, is that um, you went back out and you did the 1K repeats. Right. Yeah. yeah. So you did those 1K repeats, and you were using your watch for the first couple. Oh, yeah. So yeah. yeah, so this is key. This has been a really productive day. You're like really you're fired up right now. You don't even think you got a nap today. Oh, a little bit of a nap. A little bit of a nap. What are you doing? Six Chris? 1K repeats on one minute rest at... Uh, seven twenty to seven thirty. And this was after pace. you did like the first, the first three, three, almost four miles, because I ran back out there at uh, seven twenty pace. And I got out there, and the first four, I'm looking at my watch to check in and make sure I'm not going too fast, because I can guarantee you, any time I give a workout like this, or you, you're out to run a certain pace, you always go faster. So the watch was there to keep me in check, and I was banging off the four repeats, and then the last two is where you really tap into the feel of the run. So you shut off the watch. You don't look at the watch. You do two more repeats, and you go based off a of feel. And it really gets you in the moment. It gets you in every step. It gets you in your breath. I was thinking about what was my breath like on those previous four? What is my breath like now? What is we my foot strike like? We talked about that with Lucho too, like the breath, like mm. knowing your Z2 breath, your Z3 breath, your Z4 breath, your Z5 breath. Yeah. And from that breath, you can nail your heart rate. You can nail your pace. Like yeah. I, I, the breath is so breath important is, to connect is, with. It's so huge. Um, and, and so the first four was around three or four thirty two ish average pace. And so... Which translates to what per mile? Like a 715, 720. So that was too fast? It was rough. It was around there. I wanted to bounce around that 7 to 730 range. Mm-hmm. Um, but each of the first four repeats were seven, you know, 730, 731, 732, 732. And then the last two, where I was not looking at the watch, the first one was a 728. So, of course, too fast, but by three seconds, two to three seconds. And then I took that knowledge and experience from that repeat and applied it to the next repeat and took it out even slower. And I came in at 732 without looking at the watch. So to me, that makes this workout super beneficial because I've achieved the goal of hitting the paces that I want to hit, but I've also achieved awareness of where I am physically and mentally, breathing-wise, fitness-wise. I know where I am right now two weeks out from an Ironman. And how did that pace feel to you today? Comfortable. Really comfortable. I would not feel comfortable to really me, comfortable. <laughs> and then so and then being in the moment after I finished that last one, um, I just wanted to get home. So I was like, let's run hard home and see what we can do. Mm-hmm. Don't look at the watch. And I got home in that last, I think it's like 0.7 miles, roughly. I did in under seven minute pace. So it was a solid day off the bike, but, but really the, the, the point here is that it, I'm really in tune with how my body is and I've recovered well and I'm two weeks out from an Ironman and I feel like my fitness and mental state is, is in a good spot. So my question is, this workout today, and you've been um, training with some athletes and when you go back east, you train with some athletes, you, you, know, you always try and train with your athletes as much as possible. A workout like today and knowing like the why behind that workout, what would be based on your experience with training with your athletes or even training with athletes who are not your athletes, 
What do you see as like the biggest mistakes that athletes are making on, like how could they sabotage a workout like today? Oh, perfect example is I was feeling good. So why wouldn't I go faster? Mm. Why wouldn't I go faster? I feel great. I'm supposed to feel great. (laughs) I've been putting in a lot of work, fitness. I have a lot of fitness, but the point of the workout timed at this point in training is not to run fast. It's not to empty your tank right it's now. It's not. This is not the point of the workout. And I think that's where athletes go. They feel good and therefore they go. There, don't, don't get me wrong. There is a time when I'll give in a workout or you're feeling good and the time is right to push it. And I'll, and I'll say that because I can I get the feeling from their notes and our feedback or phone calls. I understand where they are physically and mentally and it's okay to push it a little bit. But for most cases, follow the plan. Like the plan has a vision. The plan is there for a purpose. And on the bike ride today, you know, you get in a group ride and you see that guy go off in the front. You want to go with them, right? You want to go. That's the tendency. Yeah, but what is that? That's the ego. Yeah. I was talking about it with a guy on the bike ride. He's like, oh, that's just my ego. I'm like, yes, yes. (laughs) What are you supposed to do today? Oh, you're supposed to bike this pace for this long. And you're not supposed to do a run after, so don't do that. Like, stick to, there is a purpose to this. Right. And being, okay, I know what, what that what? quote was from the Bhagavad Gita. He was saying, like, that cowardness does not become you. Like, being in the ego like that and sabotaging your training by going too hard and emptying the tank, that does not become you as a successful athlete. It's very short-lived. It's like going out and eating, like, that ice cream cone or something like Mm. that, or having that meal that's not that healthy for you. It's a very short-lived satisfaction, but the toll that it takes is much greater in the end. And as an athlete that wants to be successful and and to hit your goals, like moments of cowardness like that, which is really what it is, if you look at it, to succumb to the negative ego in that way, um, does not become you. No. No. And when 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 you move into that effort or whatever it is, you're moving into a different phase of the workout like you're you're moving you're moving into a different benefit Mm -hmm. or not benefit like (laughs) based on everything you've done so cool yeah i think that's that's so you're two weeks out as of tomorrow two weeks of tomorrow and And you're going all by yourself you've threatened to do this for some years now and now you get to do it how do you feel about that i'm excited I'm really Are you going to bring any like excited. yogi triathlete event or anything to Ironman Wisconsin? I'm working on that. So hopefully okay. we're going to get some yoga going in the Ironman Village mm. uh, Thursday and Friday. It's a Sunday race. So hopefully Thursday and Friday we'll get some, some uh, yoga in. But I'm arriving on Wednesday and I'm putting this out there to everybody. Just connect with me, yogi triathlete. And I'd love to meet up with you for anything, for conversation, for lunch, you know, cool. And we want f- lots of live videos for your bachelor Iron Man. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's going to be awesome. I think it's going to be great. Yeah. All right. What else do we want to talk what? about? So you just got back. Oh yeah. I was back east. Where were you? I was back east. I was on Cape Cod and there was a lot of people that I didn't see. And, uh, and it doesn't mean that I don't love you. It's just, it wasn't, it's kind of like, what's the point of the workout? Like the point of the trip was to immerse myself in my family to be in that, that unit and to serve. Like I really felt like I just wanted to be there and, and serve them in, in the way that I can. And how'd that go? It was great. You know, it's, it's family. So it's like 
there's so many different dynamics going on and the five of us. So I have a brother and a sister and then of course my parents um, are still married and still alive. It's and so still wonderful. in the same house. Oh yeah. Right? Still in the same house. <laughs> and I like slept in my twin bed with the heart stenciling and um, my sister flew in from Arizona. So both of us took a red eye out and we landed within minutes of each other in that was like the way to go, man. Hop on a 920 flight out of San Diego, woke up in Boston and my mom got us like a limo on the way home. So we had a, a car service, pick us up, take us to the Cape, took a big nap. And I just wanted to be in service of them. Right. So I've done a lot of work on myself over these years to heal these things that were unhealed within me that symptomatically came out as judgment, impatience, um, you know, uh, self, selfish will, uh, selfish desire, things like that, that really used to make up the person that I was in this world. And, and now I've seen that by living this example of like that peaceful warrior, you know, really, really strong woman who is, vulnerable in this world to heal those imperfections of my life and to, to be willing to be wrong and, and to, to love outwardly and to give freely, uh, living that example, I've seen so many changes within my family. What does it take to, to have, to be okay with being wrong? Like, what does it take? Oh my God. What does it take you? Okay, so when I really started to learn about being wrong was in my yoga training. And I, I remember that it, I wrote a blog post on this. I'll put it in the show notes. But it was like the first day of my yoga training. And Philip, who was our, our teacher, our mentor, and he said that, you know, the highest state of intelligence is to say, I don't know. And I was like, what? What? <laughs> I am in the wrong place. Like, who are these losers? To say that you're wrong means that, I mean, to say that you don't know means that you don't know. Like, that's insane. Like, what kind of weakness are we trying to show here? Yeah, I always you know? think about interviews. Like, when they ask you something and you say, I don't, if you were to say, I don't know, they would look at you like, whoa. Yeah, like, oh my God, she doesn't know. I thought she was supposed to be right. an expert. So right. uh, bless my parents. They're wonderful, wonderful people. Um, and through the way that I translated, the way that I was brought up was like, you know, you get really smart and you become an expert on subjects. And then you, you know, you you get the last word. And this is how I, I was, um, I, I like to describe it as like, I was somebody who really enjoyed um verbal jousting, right? Like I would get into verbal battles and I wouldn't give in and <laughs> you're laughing at me. And I would always have the last laugh, even if, the last even word. if, oh like God, the last laugh, the last word, everything. <laughs> it didn't matter what I was doing to the other person. And especially even if I knew I was wrong, I would fight to yeah. the death until I convinced that other person that I was right. So when I heard that in yoga training, I was like, oh my God. And so I stuck with it and my whole world got turned upside down that week. And in order to be wrong, and we, we talked about this with Merrick in last week's podcast, you have to be vulnerable. Like you have to be, it's a vulnerability to say, you know, I don't know. I don't know the answer. And 
Uh, but, but maybe I could find out or maybe we could find somebody who does know the answer and then we could get the answer and then we could figure out if that perspective aligns with our perspectives. And the, uh, the, the ability to cultivate the skill to say, I don't know, or to, to admit when you're wrong has really allowed me to be such a skillful teacher. It really has because... Why? Because it... Ugh, look at you showing, turning the why table on me. Well, this is good. This is, this, is the, this is the heart. This is the deep stuff. Like this is how you become the person you are today. Yeah, I, I think because it, it just shows that... Well, number one, it's like I'm not an expert. Like I highly discourage being an expert because when you're an expert, you stop learning. And so being a beginner... And so uh, being a sponge to always learn, it doesn't matter that I've done, you know, multiple Ironman, like that that doesn't mean that the next one I do, I'm not, I don't, I'm not guaranteed to finish it, right? Like you don't, you don't know, you don't know what's going to happen. Like, and, and also that you're relatable to people that I think it's more of a connection Uh, I think this idea of like, we know it all and this pressure to be a certain way and feel a certain way and look a certain way and dress a certain way and, and live up to this role is, um, it's, it separates us. It's a disconnect. And so I want connection. I want to connect with my students, you know, and, and like I walk into my classes and many times I'll just be like, all right, I have no idea what we're going to do. Let's just see how this thing shakes down. And there's no way, like I've always been a public speaker, like since I was in eighth grade and I stood in front of the House of Representatives and spoke, you know, to hundreds of people at the State House in Boston. Like I, being in front of the microphone and being in front of a bunch of people, like that is what I was born to do. And hopefully, I, I hope that in this life, I get to do that more and more and more and speak to thousands of people. Because um, I love that. There's nothing more that I love. But I would rehearse and rehearse and rehearse and rehearse and rehearse and rehearse and remember and memorize every single word and deliver it exactly as the way that I rehearsed it. And I, and I look back at that and I think that that was such, I think when I was in eighth grade, maybe that was something that, you know, might've been a necessity, but even like, you know, when I would present, when I was a professional, like in my twenties, I would always rehearse or if I was going into conversation if I was going to fight with someone, I would rehearse. I knew exactly what I was going to say and I was going to say every single word. And, and I think that that's such a limiter because what that does is it doesn't allow the present moment to be available to you for the, the, the pure intelligence and the wisdom to come through you, which is how we run this podcast, the one that we're recording right now. We didn't really, we had an idea of what we were going to talk about, but the words that are coming out of my mouth right now are coming through presence, like they're moving through me. And so tapping into that divine intelligence as opposed to the human intellect, two very, very different things. Because when you're tapping into the divine intelligence, which is really what we train our athletes to tap into when we train them to be in a flow state in their in their racing and their training if they're open to that not all of all of them are they're open to it but they're open to it to their level and the ones that are really open to it oh my god they're just they're just thriving Flourishing. oh my god yes. they're crazy crazy thriving and and the ones that are not we see that we see their limiters and it doesn't mean that they're wrong or they're in the wrong place it's just they're exactly where they need to be for their level 
it's that divine intelligence where we, there's nothing to learn. Like we come into this world, there's nothing to learn. We already have it all. But we get into this worldly way and we think we got to go to school and we got to study and we got to memorize and we got to be the best and we have to be an expert and we have to have a field and we have to have like a field of specialty and then we have to like pursue that and, and all of that and we have to know everything. And the thing is, is that um, we don't have to know everything. And, and once we feel like we, we do know everything, we stop and we limit ourselves. Right. That's and why the beginner's mind. The beginner's the mind beginner's is huge. Mind. The beginner's mind is huge. That every moment is a new moment. That there's never a moment that's been like a moment before. Everything is changing. We're changing. The world is changing, right? Everything is always changing. So if we think that we're an expert in something in a world that's always changing, we're we just... We're closing off. Well, we're closing off, but we, we become continually, continually um, irrelevant. Because there is divine intelligence that is coming through, and um, and we're missing it. I like that. Yeah. All right. So you're back home okay. with your family. So no, back home with the family. My d- that divine. Gives us, that gives us some divine background. intelligence. <laughs> no, but but what I've seen is. You know, um, I've seen incredible changes in my family. My mother is now meditating. Um, she's vegan. My dad's pretty much vegan because he's super old school. Now he's an expert. He's awesome. And why is he vegan? Because my mother makes the food. And so uh, he's not going to get up and make his own dinner. And so she creates the food. So he's vegan by default, which is awesome because he, he has an expert mind. Like he's a Marine to this day. He's a Marine. But he's awesome because there's something about my relationship with my dad where he listens to me. And even if it's just for a moment, I can see that, that the information gets in. And my sister, who used to be like hardcore paleo, is pretty much vegan. And actually, I just talked to her today. She was still eating fish and things like that. But even after my visit, because her and my mom were asking me so many questions... Uh, she said to me today, like, I've totally been vegan since I came home. And, and so one of the things I did when I was home and to be in service of my family was I, I made the food. I packed the cooler for the beach. I created food for my sister and I for the plane and made dinner. And my dad's raving about tofurkey sausages. And um, what else? Did I, I made Buddha bowls, you know, and, and he loved his Buddha bowl. And he had nut-based nacho cheese on top and he couldn't get enough of it. So it was really cool. And I just went back with two things in mind. Number one, with this asking that every morning I would wake up and say, show me how I can serve. And the other thing was to always see each one of them in their perfection, like in their divine perfection. And in moments where it was getting crazy, like everybody was talking at once and they were like kind of arguing about flights for Thanksgiving. And I was like, oh my God, it's August. Why are we talking about Thanksgiving? Not present moment. <laughs> Why are we talking Way about this right now? And I would, I would walk away and I would just say, I'm going to go have some quiet time. And I, I had a, my mom's yoga mat, I had it laid out in, on my floor and I would go up and I would do five minutes of yoga and five minutes of meditation. I did that a lot so that I could reset and come back down and see them in their, in their perfection, right? So that, those were my intentions. And then every time I felt like I was off those intentions, I would reset. So that was nice. My sister and I practiced yoga. Uh, we went to the beach and I just really immersed myself. But one of the things I did get to do was go back to Rhode Island Power Yoga and teach a class, which was so 
it was so unbelievable. And I could feel the energy leading up to it before I even left California. I could feel like the love and the momentum that was already happening. And I kept having to bring myself back to the present moment because I just like so wanted to get there in front of them because I knew it was going to be a packed classroom. And I knew it was going to be so much fun because they know me in my full expression as a yoga teacher and they accept me in that way. Um, and when was the last time they saw you? The last time they saw me was two days before we left for our trip. So it had been over a year. It had been over a year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so to go back and I, when I started the class, I was like quivering. I said that I was like, I am shaking right now. And I'm like looking out at like 50, I don't know how many people there, there was at least 50 people there. And they're all like all eyes. Like we were just, I'm just looking around the room and I'm just connecting with people. And it was like this really in, just intense moment of like love and connection. And, but like I had to be on like, okay, I have to, I have to own this room. Like, all right. So, so what did I do? Like in that moment, I could have been like, don't do blah, blah, and been like crazy. But I was like, all right, you guys, we got to drop in. We got to drop in because I need to drop in. So in, in like in an instant, it just went silent. They were hanging Ugh, on. It was amazing. The words I bet from your, every word that came from your mouth. I well, I don't just, know. I, I know. I know. I, <laughs> I went back know. there for a little while and people were like, where's Jess? Where's Jess? Well, it was just amazing. Like in a moment, it just went to complete silence. And then. And then in another moment, it just went to 50 people breathing at once. It was like the whole room was like expanding and contracting. And we just had a rocking experience. It was super fun. I, I really enjoyed it. it. And then I found like afterwards, it was kind of hard to like pull out of the parking lot and leave it. But I kept checking in with myself even as I was driving down that so familiar road to get there. Um, like, is this where we're so, is this where I'm supposed to be? You know, she, are we supposed to be in California? Is this where, like, we left so much behind. And we're exactly where we're supposed to be, BJ. Like, I'm, I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be out here. And that's what just kept coming, is that we're exactly where we're supposed to be. Absolutely. And what a gift to be able to go back and teach. So, yeah, it was cool to go back and to feel the energy of the Northeast. It's super intense. It's super intense there. A lot of, a lot of, the mind is very closed. Um, I could feel that. I could see it. I could hear it. The conversations, mm. the beach, um, things like that. But it's a beautiful place. It was a nice visit. And I just threw myself into service. And through that service, I really enjoyed myself and had a really meaningful uh, experience with my family. Yeah, it's cool. Okay. Well, yeah. I'm glad that you're back. Yeah, it's good to be back. All right, should we dive into, um, let's dive into a question. What, yeah, all right. Is, what else did you want to talk about? We can talk about your ass kicking. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I think that took, I think, I think that took a big toll on the energy around here. Yeah. In, in our little tiny studio and in, uh, in, in our purpose, in our, in our bigger purpose in this yeah adventure out here in california so why don't why don't you share what you want or wherever it takes you yeah i got my ass kicked this ass kicking that happened <laughs> it really did all right well so i got my ass kicked hard <laughs> i think people the, get that now by the universe yeah. really hard 
And it's everything we talked about already about, you know, the cowardness and the laying down on the chariot and saying, I can't fight. Like I experienced, like I lived the Bhagavad Gita. Um, I guess it was about a month ago now. It all started in June. And I had a reading with Maria. I had a our, our psychic. I had a reading with her. I just felt like it was time. I had a reading with her. And one of the first things she said to me was, everything is changing for you. And I've been feeling the shift. I've been talking about like, I'm feeling like shift. I don't know what it's going on. Like with triathlon, I've been feeling like the shift and, you know, ultra running. I love it. Um, I've been feeling the shift away. Like I want to focus on the running and I don't know. And like, I can feel the attachment to, to triathlon. But at the beginning of this reading, she said to me, uh, okay, Jess, so everything is changing for you. Everything. You got it? And I was like, yeah, I got it. She's like, okay, so um, don't freak out. I said, all right, I won't. She's like, did you hear me? Everything is changing for you, and it's really important that you don't freak out. And I was like, okay, I won't freak out. And I'm like thinking in that moment, like, all right, something's coming. So we went on with the reading, and as always, I pulled away some great clarity. And again, she said again, at the end, she said, you know, again, everything, everything is changing for you. Don't freak out as it happens. And I was like, all right, I'm not going to freak out. And then it was about a week or two later and I had this dream and I've done a lot of dream analyzation with my meditation teacher and, and a lot of my dreams are around water and water is about the emotions. And so I get these, I see these, like I'll have dreams about like big waves coming in and, and, and normally Sometimes these waves, like they're like tidal waves and they crash over me, but I'm super calm. And so that's me knowing that something's coming, but I'm going to be able to ride it just fine because I've done the work and everything. And so this dream was like insane. These waves, like I was looking up and I couldn't even see the top of the wave and they were coming from all these different angles. They were behind me as one was coming at me. They were, I could see them out of my peripheral vision. And as I was like calm in them, there was a couple times where they cra I couldn't get away and they crashed over me. And I felt myself in this dream getting pulled into the wave and like kind of drowning a little bit. And I told you about the dream after that, but I didn't tell you about the drowning part because everything is energy and words are super powerful. And I didn't, I, I knew something was coming, but I didn't want to, I didn't want to focus on the drowning part. Like the part where I like, I was suffocating and I couldn't really breathe in the dream because these waves were like waves I had never seen before. So I was like, okay. And then we went to Boulder and had some experiences in Boulder that were intense. Like we're, we were around some intense people and like feeling their energy and, and so uh, everything leaves an impression on you. And I kind of felt like I had a little bit of residue on me. And then we came back and it was shortly after we came back and I woke up. It was a Tuesday morning. I had, cause I, I remember this cause I had a session with my meditation teacher that morning. It was a Tuesday morning and I woke up early and I, I woke up because I, I woke up in a panic, like in a panic. Like I felt like my entire chest was about to explode and I, it was like, that's what woke me up. Just this unbelievable, fearful panic. And I don't even know if I told you this part of it. And here you are sleeping so soundly and peacefully next to me. But what happened next was 
it was like anger and it was all directed at you. And all of a sudden in my mind, it was like I had this whole list, BJ, of all the things you hadn't done and all the things you were supposed to do. And I saw this, okay, so I could see it happening. And I was like, whoa, because I'm, I'm in the gap and I can see it. And I'm like, whoa, check this out. Like, this is intense. Like, look at this, like, energy coming into me. And now I'm trying to deny that it's mine and I'm trying to project it onto BJ. So what did I did? I laid in bed and um, I did some, some mantras to heal that energy between you and I. And here you are just like sleeping and Clark's sleeping and I'm like in this total panic. And I actually got up and I meditated and then I went and taught yoga and, but it was like still with me, it was still with me, but it was starting to subside. And then I had a session with my meditation teacher that morning and he said, how are things going? And I was like, oh, it's good, but I'm, I'm kind of riding some waves. And he said, well, what's going on? I said, well, I woke up in this panic. And I explained to him what happened. And then all of a sudden it just came back and I started crying. We started talking and our conversation got heated. And the way that he was, I still haven't quite understood stood fully what happened between he and I. I, I believe that he had to stand up and, and fight and, and be, and, and really be stern with me. And that's really what happened to, to wake me up, to really smack me across the face. But essentially I came out of that conversation with him, like, oh my God, like I am pissed at him. I'm pissed that we're out here. I'm pissed that we got rid of everything we owned and we went on that trip and like, what are we doing? And everything I did was wrong and what is happening and I'm not teaching enough yoga and why isn't this coming? And, and, you know, and, uh, maybe yogi triathletes not supposed like it, it started to, I started to question everything, but I started to question it in a very negative way. Like everything was wrong. And what happened from that was that the, the intensity just got more and more and more. And I started to feel really, really dark. And so that day I took walks and I just kept crying, crying. And the, what I was identifying, it was so haunting, but it was a really familiar, uh, darkness. And it was a darkness that I felt earlier on in my life when I was like a teenager and really in a state of desperation in my life and not wanting to be on the earth anymore and feeling that, like feeling that, like, oh my God, zero to like a hundred I went. And I remember walking along the, the rail trail just with my sunglasses and a hat on and just being like sobbing, sobbing you were gone for the day. And I was just like, all right, this is going to be my day. I've got to move this energy. And so this is what's happening, right? Like I'm sobbing. I am like panicked. I am fearful. I am angry. Like all of this stuff is happening and, and it came out of nowhere, but there was still a part of me that could see it. And even though it was getting worse and I felt like, like I was having trouble breathing. I was just practicing being calm like you have to practice being calm in the face of something like this or the face of any kind of intensity in the face of any kind of negativity in the face of any kind of tragedy you have to remain calm this is this is how we get out of it it was getting harder and harder to remain calm but there was still like this little bit of light within me 
that I was so in touch with. And it was the tiniest little bit of light. And I knew that like, if I could just keep that light, it didn't matter how dim it was, but if I could just keep that light and, and, and see that through all of this, that I was going to be okay. Like that, that all of the work I had done up until now was to keep that little glimmer of light alive and connected with that. And so it went on into the next day and, and my meditation teacher was so awesome. He was like, we need, let's talk every, like, I'm here for you. Like, let's talk every day, text me, whatever. Like I'll come down, like whatever you need, let's get through this. I'm still kind of pissed at him though, because he's making me question everything. So I guess long story short, I had another session with him and it got super heated. It got really heated. Like he was yelling at me because I was falling deeper and deeper and deeper into the darkness. Like I, I didn't like, and I think I even came home to you, BJ, after a walk. And I just said, and you said, how are you doing? And I was just sobbing. And I said, I just, I don't want to be, I think I don't want to be here anymore. Like, that's how I felt. I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to be on this earth anymore. That's how I felt. Like, that's how desperate it was. And within that, I still had that little bit of light. Like, I could still see it. I could still separate myself just a tiny bit to see. And there was still a voice in my head saying, none of this is mine. Don't attach to this. Like, don't feed this. Even though there was a part of me that was feeding it. Like, there was still that voice saying, don't feed it. You're stronger than this. And so I have this other session with, with meditator Bob and he is like getting super stern with me because he can see me, you know, in, in the weeks following, we've had talks about it. And he said, I could see you falling into a really dark depression. And, and, and like, I, I agree with that because nobody is, nobody is like feeling good when they say, I don't want to be here anymore. Like, that's insane. I don't want to be here anymore. That's crazy. But that's how it was suffocating me. I felt like I was being pinned down by the darkest, most evil energy. And it's out there, right? We, I don't give it a lot of talk. I don't give it a lot of time. But it's very much there. And this is kind of what we were talking about earlier. Like the further you go down this path, that's going to try and come in. It's going to come in. It's going to try and come in. And it came in. And there was a part of me that let it in and I couldn't fight against it. Like I was so weak. And, and there was one point in my conversation with Bob where he just said, if you were going to be like this, I mean, and this is about like 20 decibels higher. If you were going to be like this, then don't come back here. And he just yelled at me like, don't come back here anymore. And it was like, oh, like that. And then it was like, fuck you. Like, that's really how I felt like in your meditation and everything that I've been following and all this bullshit signs and following my heart and it's all crap. And, and it was like the most devastating forest fire we've ever known in our life came through me and it killed everything. It killed everything. I could barely talk over those days. It was probably about, what do you think? It was like 24, 36 hours. At least. It was long. like, it was, it, I don't think it was that, like, I think it was about 36 hours yeah. of like really in the darkness. Like in it, and when I started to come out of it, I, it was like I had been, everything, this is what happened. And even in, I just want to stress that even in these moments, I knew, like I knew that I was going to have clarity on the other end. 
And, and even in these moments of like sobbing, of being like, I could just jump in front of a train right now. I remember, I remember saying like, it was so hard for me to even talk because I was sobbing so hard at times. I would, I would muster the strength to say, thank you. Like, thank you for this. Because I knew it was going to be an unbelievable experience in healing. Like, thank you, thank you, thank you. And finding gratitude in the darkest moment. Like, some of the darkest moments of my life is what I experienced a couple couple months ago or a month ago. So you stood up and fight. Right? <gasps> yeah, fought, like, right? on my knees. Right. But I you, couldn't even stand up. But you were in that moment. So you could say, otherwise, it would just encompass you and continually beat you down and beat you down and beat you down. Yeah, like, it couldn't, it was, it was so suffocating. It was so hard. It was so hard. But you were able to, what I'm saying is you were able to get into that moment of, like, this is it. Like, this is, this is fight or flight. Like, yeah. Like, I can take off. Yeah. Or I can just fight. Like I did. I and fought. And you were aware in that moment to I fought. embrace it. Yeah. It was the most evil. It was the most evil yeah, of were, energy. From my um, perspective, you were really... It was a super dark entity that like in dark came place. into yeah. me. And, mm-hmm. and I knew that all the work I had done up until that moment had prepared me to navigate this. So what happened was as I started to come out of it and I started to be able to be more calm for like, like the crying kind of subsided, like after a day or so, it took me a little while to like find peace with my meditation teacher. And I knew like I had so much clarity, like I knew that he had to be strong in that moment and, and not coddle not the feed. evil. Not feed Yeah, it. not yeah. feed the evil, not coddle my ego. I was completely wiped out. I, the one thing he kept saying to me was, when do you teach? You need to teach. You need to teach. And these two days, I, I, hadn't, I hadn't been teaching. So Tuesday morning, when it started, I taught a class. And then I wasn't teaching again until Thursday. So this happened Tuesday, Wednesday. And Wednesday, he was saying, you need to teach. Like, you need to get back and teach. And so Thursday morning, I taught. And I was completely wiped out. I was completely cleaned of any belief I had. I didn't believe anything. I didn't know what to believe. I was in this state of unknown that I've never been in before in my entire life. Everything I believed, everything I thought I knew was completely gone. And it was like a re, it was a rebirth. It was a total rebirth because I definitely felt like I died. Like it was a death for sure. And I've, I've had this before, but this was like no other. And I remember teaching that morning. I taught a 6 a.m. class. I was so raw. I was so vulnerable. And, I, and so I'm teaching the class. And I just thought to myself, just be present. That's all you have to do. I asked for the words. I said, please, just let the words flow through me. And whatever it is that I have to teach, it will come through. And listen very carefully, Jess. Listen to the words that are coming through because those are going to be the words of truth. And this is how you're going to, this is how you're going to rebuild yourself by just being completely present and letting something greater than you move through you. Like let the truth comes through. Yeah. You have no belief systems. Like remember I kept saying to you, like, I don't know anything. I don't know anything. Right. So I guess I had reached the highest state of mm-hmm. intelligence. That's the I best know, place to be. I know nothing. And I knew it was, I knew it was through this all. I can't yeah. stress it enough. You guys, 
through it all, I knew that this was going to be one of the greatest experiences of my life. And it was. Uh, and there's no way I would have been, it would have been had I not done the work that I've done leading up to this. So I taught that morning. I was very present, really connected to my body, really connected to my breath, the very instant of breath that I was breathing, the very morsel of life that I was living, and very much in the hub of who I am in that witness. And if you don't understand what that is, I've done a, I did a YouTube video on it, so I'll put a link in the show notes on like what that witness is. Very much sitting in that hub, and I could hear this voice saying, you are such a fraud. You are such a fraud. And, I, and then this other voice saying, I am not a fraud. Like, this is truth. Like, what I am speaking is truth. And, and it was so cool because what it was like, okay, so this forest fire came through, devastated everything, right? Completely burned down everything. And, and what happens in a forest fire? Like life comes up again and it's beautiful and it's super bright green. And I knew that whatever grew out of this devastation was something never to be questioned again. And, and, and the things that have grown out of this were really the core principles that I was believing up until this happened. And and know now to be more true than ever before. That, um, you know, we are, we are um, powerful. We are consciousness. We are love. Um, presence is all there is. Uh, the negative ego is crap. Don't buy into it. Uh, um, you know, separateness. We are not separate. We are one. Um, but, but the, the most, the most important thing is that all we have is this moment right now and in the most intense moments of our life and the most intense moments of any race and the most intense moments of any training in those moments when you give, want to give up so badly, you connect in with your breath, your body and be present again, you know? And so the truths that have come out that have grown up through this devastation have just really solidified myself in in what I know to be true so not even what I believe now I just know it to be true and the other thing that came out of this which was such a the, probably the biggest piece of the ass kicker was this is this is my journey this is my soul journey and nobody else's and it doesn't matter how many people are supporting me or not supporting me or the advice I get from people like I got to take all that with a grain of salt because the, the only thing that matters is what I feel to be true deep inside myself uh, for my divine blueprint in this life. And so that's what I took out of it. That was a big ass kicking. <laughs> it was. A big whoop ass kick. We've said ass a lot in this <laughs> podcast. I apologize. But it really was um, yeah. pretty much the most devastating thing that I have experienced. So um, far. And shocking. Shocking that this was still within me. So when we talk about, you know, one of the things that meditation, the thing that meditation does that nothing else will do in this world, uh, in this world that we know, is that it purifies your soul so it heals your samskaras. Your samskaras are the dark marks on your soul, the unhealed hurts. And that's the only way to do it, you guys. So you can go out and you can run and you can think that's meditation and all of that. And it is in some sense. But the true healing and the real work is done by sitting and feeling, and in the most intense, darkest moments of your life, getting still, 
and being calm. I did a lot of healing over those couple of days. Like I completely just checked out, totally surrendered to what was happening, um, slept, rested my body, got my, like really got my defenses, uh, not my defenses up in resistance, but my defenses in my, my warrior skills and navigated it the best I could and remembered that within me, like the truth of who I am, I could still see that uh, no matter how suffocating it was. But I got this just unbelievable lesson in showing me really what is true. And it's not a belief. Maybe it started to move into a belief, even though, though it was true, but it was like this, it's like something it's hard to put into words. So there's these things called the, um, eternal truths. And so that's what I really feel like I would, I got this like indoctrination into, uh, like I got into this new club, like this new spiritual club, like they welcomed me in, but like you had a, I had a like walk, over a field of coals while I was being shot at and, um, you know, attacked the whole time. But then on the other side, I was welcomed into this new level of consciousness of like, yeah, girl, now you know for sure, without question, the eternal truths. And, and that has taken my ability as a teacher up so many notches and I think that this is a big part of everything changing for me. So we'll see where it takes me. I'm glad I'm on the other side. I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad too. Oh my God. So <laughs> anyway, we've already been going for an hour, 25. Really? All right. Do you want to wrap it up with that question? I think, or, yeah, yeah. Let's wrap it up with a question. Do you want to talk about? Let's wrap it up with a question. All right. I think we need to get to that question. At least one of the questions. All right, so. one of the questions. So this comes from David Okay. in hey, Oregon. Da hey, David. <laughs> Hi, David. You talk about detachment, and I get it, I think. Mm. But where I struggle, and I guess where my question is, can I still have goals, and how do I do this? Oh, my God. I've so been there. I've so been there. Like, I remember specifically, like, writing that in my journal and talking to Meditator Bob about that. Like, do I, can I not have time goals anymore? Like, how do, how do I well, even... that's the first thing that comes across. Yeah. How do I even navigate this whole, like, detachment thing? Does that... Like, detachment? What? Like, how do you even do that? So, um... Yeah, so how? You so actually got a really good lesson in detachment. Why don't you just explain, like, your... Like, what do you, what's your take on it? So I did actually did a video of it uh, on YouTube after Ironman Lake Placid last year in 2016. Uh, I was unable, I had all this prep going in. I it was, we lived up in Lake Placid for eight weeks. Like I was able to train on the course and my pool was like the Mirror Lake. Like I was able to swim in there, you know, almost every day on the course. And leading into the race, I got sick uh, the week before and wasn't able to recover in time and, and wasn't able to race. So I actually did this video, if you, if you get on YouTube, I'll, we'll put it in the show notes, of what, what I realized from this experience. Not as, not as intense as Jess's, but I was able to frame things and understand that I was super attached to the outcome of this Ironman. And what I realized is 
that detachment is something for me that when I remove the time element, because in my opinion, you know, I had to do this race on this day in order to meet my goals and to push me towards my qualification for Kona. Like this is what I was setting myself up to do. Well, and I think I want to interrupt you for a second because I think what was so super evil about what happened to you is that we were living up there. Well, yeah. We we were living up there for seven weeks. You were training on the course. You were 110% fit. Like this was the rate you were going to qualify, man. Like the stars were aligned. And then out of nowhere... You got your ass kicked. Yeah, I really And did. I would say it was probably pretty uh, equivalent to the intensity that I felt, but yours was a physical. <laughs> physical. Like, you were so sick. I couldn't eat. I couldn't keep anything down. I basically was drinking tea and eating white rice for like a week. But what I learned, and, and this only came, I think, uh, two or three days after the race, I went for a little run because... <laughs> As things happen, I was able to physically get out and and move again just after the race. And I just realized like in a meditation that I was so attached to the the outcome. And what what if I wasn't attached? What if I was just doing the work to do the work towards my goal without attaching to that end result? And what was coming to me in this meditation was time. And I had this this time commitment, like things had to happen in a certain amount of time, the race time, the, the training leading up to the race date, like everything was time focused. And what if we removed the time? What if, what if I was just doing the work to work towards my goal without having a time frame on it? Like would the journey change? Absolutely. The journey would be so much more rewarding. And I dug deeper into this in my meditation. I think it was like two or three meditations. I kept like going further and further in. And I was realizing that that, that was the real key for me was just the time frame. And when I could remove myself from the end result, whoa, like things just opened up. Things, opportunities, uh, a new relationship with the sport of triathlon, which has ever evolved in the 13 years I've been doing it. But even more so in the past three years. I have had a completely 180 relationship now with, um, with triathlon, and it's for the better, and it's a healthy relationship. And it doesn't mean I don't have goals. I still want to qualify. I'm still training hard. I'm still working off a plan. I, I'm working all towards these things, but I'm detached from the result. And so what does that mean? So I'm working towards it, and same thing I did in Santa Rosa. I worked, I'm working to qualify. I'm working to, to give it my best out there. But when I didn't meet that goal, I didn't dive into a deep hole of negativity and, and you know, feel bad for myself. And like, this is never going to happen. And going down a, a, a path that just is, is a point where you're wasting your energy. Like, after the race, I was just so happy, you know, like I have this new relationship. Like it was a great race. Like I had a great experience. I learned this, I learned this, and I learned that. And you got closer. And that I got the closer. the highest you've ever placed. Highest I've ever placed. Mm-hmm. But, I ha- but when I'm out there on the race course, I just have a, this great awareness now. And I'm just, it's an attitude of gratitude, I guess. It's the PMA, positive mental attitude. It's Yeah, John Joseph. <laughs> <laughs> it's just being grateful that I'm able to physically, mentally be out there and present and be able to push my body 
on an event that some people never, most people will never ever do. Yeah. And if you can frame it in a way that you're not attached to that end result in a certain time frame, that gives you some that that gives you the opportunity to seek something different that you can relate to, something that is is super in tune with who you are and what you expect. You know, I was expecting to do Lake Placid. Mm. I was expecting to do it in this time. I was expecting to, you know, beat these people and I was expecting to use my fitness. And what that taught me is I don't expect anymore. And like, what do we say about expectations? Oh, you're just setting yourself up. For they big, ruin the future. Expectations ruin the future. Yeah. But what you did was you, you had demand, you were, you were demanding something from the universe and you cannot demand from the universe. <laughs> like, no. Don't demand from the universe, right? Like I, and, and this is the attachment, right? We demand a certain time. We demand that we're going to qualify by the time we're 40. Now that doesn't mean that you don't have goals. That doesn't mean that you don't say, I want to qualify for Kona by the time I'm 40. Or, you know, I want to do a sub 12 hour Ironman or I want to do an Ironman. That doesn't, it doesn't, mean that you don't have those goals, but you do the work for the sake of the work, right? So everyone talks about, oh, it's the journey. It's the journey. Well, gut check. Is it really the journey? When that race gets pulled away from you, when you DNF, is it really about the journey? Are, yeah, you, are you so cool with that? That's an honest question. Like, <laughs> right? Ask like, yourself, because I hear it all the time. Oh, I'm just, the, it's, it's the journey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. High five. Like, and that's a wonderful intention to have. But is it truly about the journey? Like, can it be ripped away from you? Can that race be, can you train for an Ironman for 16, 20 weeks for a whole year and be okay if you don't race on, on race day? Mm, most people, I would say no. So when you know, this is how, let's start with how you know you're attached. You know you're attached when you suffer. So when you, when you cross the finish line and you're psyched that you finished, but you're disappointed that you didn't have your time, you're suffering. You were attached to your time. So first thing is like knowing what you're attached to, right? When you are trying to get somewhere on time and you know, you're running late and you hit a traffic jam and now you're pissed. Okay. Well, you were attached to getting to that certain place by a certain time, right? It's, it's, there's attachment is everywhere. It doesn't have to be sport. Right. When you peel back that banana that you're so excited to have and it's, it's too ripe or not right, ripe enough. Or an avocado when it's. Yeah. Yeah. And the, and the avocado and you open, you're so excited to have the avocado and then you're like, oh my God, it's like all brown inside. And like, even you scrape off the top level and it's it's still still brown brown. (laughs) and you're disappointed. That's attachment. Right. You know, that's attachment. Uh, you know, that's how you know is when you're suffering on any level. And so what it is, is when we say it's about the journey, it's about the journey. It's what that really is, is it's about, it's about training. It's it's about developing, being more skillful in your ability to live in the present moment. That's what it's about. That's where the journey is. It's being in the present moment. And so how do you do that? You do that by 
putting your awareness on your breath, which is always happening right now, putting your awareness on your body, which is always happening right now, and merging your awareness to the activity at hand. So that could just be like, I'm right now, I'm just standing here and I can feel my feet and my shoes and I can feel my mouth moving as I speak, right? And I'm merging my awareness in with my activity of recording this podcast. And through that, we get flow. Right. And, um, and when things become work, there's no work in flow, right? So if things become work, and I say this in my yoga class a lot too, like the moment you feel like you're enduring the class, you're enduring the pose, like I can do this, no flow. And that doesn't mean that flow isn't challenging. Like in those days where I was pinned down by like this evil entity, there were, there were a good amount of those moments. There was definitely some resistance. I have to tell you, like, I'm not going to lie because it was so intense. But there was a lot of flow in that intensity because I was just, I completely surrendered to it and I couldn't do anything. I couldn't function. I couldn't, I couldn't like work. I couldn't do my Facebook posts. I I just laid in bed or I took a walk and I sobbed and I just completely surrendered to it and said, all right, I'll do what it has to take to let this move through me. So it doesn't mean that flow is always like super easy. It just means that you're not resistant to it. And so, um, yeah, have your goals for sure. It's so important to have your goals. I mean, scientifically, it's been shown that when you visualize yourself and you set those goals and you see yourself succeeding, you have a better chance at success within those goals. But watch the time frame of what, of what you're demanding and understand that maybe you didn't get that time or you didn't reach the, that goal this time, but right. it doesn't mean you're off the path. Right. It very much means you're still on your path. If you continue <laughs> to move, if you continue to keep your momentum moving forward. Yeah, but because it, that, again, that's the point where there's, they would want to stop. But even if, even if you like resist it, you're still on your path. You're never off your path. People think like, um, you know, oh, I DNF'd, I'm, you know, I'm off, I'm off my path or I fell off my path. Or You're still on your path. You're completely in charge of how that path is going to go. But it could be a goat path. Yeah, where you're just bushwhacking, bushwhacking, right? And so for many of us on the warrior path, we're bushwhacking. Things don't, things aren't, you know, they're coming with ease in the way that you're not resisting them, that you're staying in flow and you're riding those waves. Even if you can't, the waves are so big, you can't even see the top. But sometimes those waves are going to crash down and you can still be in flow as they're they're pushing you around. And I think I saw that in that dream where I was drowning a little bit because there were times where I was fighting against it. I didn't want it to be happening. I didn't want to be feeling this resistance or this intensity, but keep the goals for sure and see yourself doing them. And you can have your vision boards, you can have all that stuff, but let me tell you one thing. If you're not doing the inner work, everything that aligns is just going to be by luck. Like you have to do the inner work right. to fully realize you, all of your dreams and to fully live like the life that you're capable of living, the one that you're, that, that your highest potential. And, and that just encompasses what Yogi Triathlete is about and how we work with our athletes. I, I really feel that's where the training plan comes in too, because it's not your typical, here's your training plan, now go with it. Like a training plan is liquid. It's always moving. Like I have a great big picture, 
but things move. And if, if you want to hit up any of our athletes, please connect with me because they've experienced all of this. And uh, Liz, running on Venti, just did a blog post about how she ran her third Falmouth road race and she was present in every moment. Like her, her, I gave her the intention of being in every foot strike, in every moment, smiling at the crowd, like disconnect from the time and just embrace it. Because there was some, and she says it in her blog post, but there was some animosity towards it. Like she wasn't gung-ho about it. The, the, the challenges of getting there and her husband was was sick for the first time. And yeah, he just, like had to go to the yeah, ER or something like during the race. But all these things were happening and, and I had her just be, I challenged her to be in the moment and she was in the moment and she came out the other side and she had a wonderful experience. And this is what we do at Yogi Triathlete. Like we put you in the situation, we in the situation, but we give you the tools to be able to experience it fully to come out and be like, yes, I just handled that versus you're up shit's Creek and you don't know what to do when all these things come flying at you. So really, really connect with yourself and find out what you're attached to. Like what are these expectations you're attached to and see if you can detach, see if you can continue to have the goals for whatever it is that you want to achieve but it's okay if in the end, it's not as you expected. Well, and also sometimes for people like myself, yeah. things change. And and I still don't haven't fully realized what all that means. Everything is changing for me. I'm, I'm finding it. I'm seeing it. I'm feeling it. But sometimes like we hang on really tight to maybe something that we said and a goal that we set and we get really headstrong about it, but maybe that goal is no longer aligned. So it's about getting really honest with yourself and goals can change, but definitely keep your goals, you know, feel them in your heart. And if they really feel aligned with who you are, you got to burn those things in there. You got to brand them in so deep and anything that takes you off the path from from reaching those goals, there can be no room for that in your life. You have to have unwavering faith yeah. and belief that what you're committed to is going to happen. It is happening. Yeah. And yeah. you work and put everything towards that. And, and don't, you do it every day. Yep. Don't go into the future of that, that goal in the far off distant future. Like stay in the present moment and do the work every single day. Yep. I think that's good. And I think we should just close with one little quote from the Bhagavad Gita, oh, which is, you have the right to the action, but you do not have the right to the fruits of that action. So you take the action for the sake of the action. And that's it. It really is about the journey. There is no destination. Don't put time limits on your goals. Feel into your heart. Make sure that they are still aligned with the person you are in this ever-changing world because your goals can change. And, and, and by hanging on too tightly to one may make you shift away from one that's even bigger and greater and something that you could miss in this life. So um, stay awake and ready, you guys. And thank you so much for the support of the show. We've gone way... We were going to keep this to an hour and we're at like an hour 42. So we hope you enjoyed the show. If you have any more questions on anything we talked about... 
send those questions in. Thank you, everyone who has subscribed to Patreon. Uh, we are putting up some exclusive content for you guys. We released one of the recipes of our upcoming cookbook. If you don't know about the cookbook, uh, you're not going to have to wait too much longer. Uh, we're, our goal is to get it out by October 1st. We're gonna have, we have the design done and we're sending it out to some amazing people who are going to review the galley copy for us. This is Adventures in Self-Publishing. So that will be something else that we can speak to to anyone who wants to do that in the future. But thank you so much, you guys. Stay awake and ready. Uh, you are here for a purpose. And it's every moment, it's unfolding for you as long as you are present to see it happening. <laughs> <laughs>